0: Guys and gals, welcome to another episode of the Property Management Show. It's really good to have you here. On November 9th, 2016, we're going to travel back a little bit. We've gathered a group of industry leaders on this podcast live at NARPUM National Conference in Hawaii. So, what we wanted to do is decode the future industry trends and help property management entrepreneurs develop strategic plans to take advantage of industry opportunities. The topic last year was specifically, we named it as disruptive property management industry trends in 2017, modernize, grow, or become irrelevant. The topics we've discussed were around industry consolidation and what it means for smaller midsize operators competitive advantages of the smaller independent companies and how to differentiate you as an independent company and win business. Um, we also went in deeply, and I want to go even more deeply into what the CEO of property management company should do. What is his or her role right now? Where where they need to focus their time to drive growth and profitability and health of their business? Uh, We talked about building a company culture, and finally, we talked about technology in the space, which is really exciting. I think over the last year and a half, we've seen a lot of interesting things come up, and uh, so we want to cover that today. So we're going to loosely base this particular episode on the topic. I have the same guests. I'm very privileged to be joined, and today, I'm not going to skip introductions because last time, I was very sort of like quick, go right into the topic. Today, I think these people deserve a bit more, but first, let me set this up. 2018 industry trends, um, as I see it, is going to be elevate operations, systems, and talent in both pre- and post-sale sides of your business or become irrelevant. Let's see if this assumption holds up throughout the interview. None of the guests are actually aware of me sort of putting this in. Um, Let's start with the introductions. Um, The first, I'm going to go with Andy Probst, CEO of Home River one of the largest privately owned property management platform companies uh, with operations in 15 states. Andy is a past national NARPA president, international speaker, one of the most respected thought leaders in our industry. Andy, привет, как настроение?
1: Отлично, спасибо, как у тебя?
0: хорошо. By the way, Andy is also fluent in Russian and he has a movie made about his experience as a missionary in Russia in late 1990s, called the Saratov approach. I highly recommend you guys check that out. Andy, welcome <laughs> to the show.
1: Uh, couldn't be happier to be here. Uh, also, Alex is fluent in Russian, if you didn't know. <laughs>
0: si, uh, da, si. <laughs> All right, let's I go it. Next guest, thank you, Andy. Next guest, uh, Michael Montero, CEO of Buildium, who spent the last decade turning Buildium from a homegrown little software solution that created... Basically out of individual frustration with the lack of solutions for the prop for, for investors. So you turned that little homegrown solution along with uh, uh co-founders and partners into a you know one of the largest property management software companies in the world. Uh with over twelve thousand five hundred property managers using the platform. Michael, are you ready to go on a mental safari here with us?
2: I am, but unfortunately, I don't speak Russian, so I hope we we stick to English during <laughs> let's, this. Let's pick this a language right now and just commit. <laughs> no. Nobody's, perfect, and, and,
0: Nobody's perfect, Michael. Nobody's perfect.
2: And I'm a little disappointed by about the venue. You know, last year we got to meet in Hawaii, in beautiful Hawaii at Narva oh, yeah. National. So I'm a little a little disappointed this time around, but I'm I'm looking forward to to catching up.
0: Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Welcome. Uh, My next guest is very excited. He already kind of piped his voice out there. And Jordan Muella, CEO of Lead Simple, the first and only true CRM and sales process solution for the property management space. He's a co-founder of PM Grow Summit, which is the fastest-growing annual conference for the top-level property management entrepreneurs. He's a co-founder and CEO of The Profit Coach, who actually authored the study here in my hand, I'm showing the, those of you watching the video, um, who stu- uh, authored the study, uh, Property Management Financial Benchmarks, and uh, you know the only study of its kind that actually demystifies profitability through all these different levers, and uh, from what I hear, it was an exhaustive thousand-hour research study. Of course, he's my personal friend, uh, mentor and also a host of the profitable property management shows man you have so many accolades I'm, I'm getting I'm running out of steam here um, Jordan are you ready to help us translate numbers and trends into solid execution plan for the future so yes, yes or no? mr.
3: also mr. also Anenko, you know I'm always ready brother
0: okay finally finally um, you guys have to bear me with another minute um, I going to introduce myself, just give the relevance of why I deserve to be among this, this great company, or at least I hope I am. Uh, CEO four and a half marketing company who helps solve growth for property management clients. We have six years experience, 32 team members, absolutely committed to our craft, co-founder of the PM Growth Summit, mentioned already, and my latest venture is the creation of the One Partner platform which basically combines the latest conversion SEO science into a website that drives quality leads for property managers on the front end and a business performance dashboard on the back end that tracks actionable marketing and sales KPIs. Then our team converts those into that data into decisions, driving the continuous improvements, improvement for our clients. So between the four of us here, there are tens of thousands of hours, maybe 100,000 hours of deliberate practice. And according to the very, very good book by Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers, 10,000 hours of deliberate practice makes you world-class. So I think we have a world, world, world-class th- team here. Um, and guys, let me ask you this. Are you ready to synergize and help property management entrepreneurs identify winning strategies for the next, say, 12 to 18 months? Let's not go any further. You guys ready? Heck okay, yes. Let's do it.
3: Game okay. face.
0: <laughs> All right, so let me set this up. I'm going to make some predictions, and feel free to start poking at them. But um, here's the quick one: uh, my macro industry view, okay, for 2018. Uh, back, let's start with back in 2016 when we actually did this interview. Uh, we still still had a fair number of reluctant and accidental landlords. Uh, coming in as a client type for property management firms. Their expectations of price and value were kind of varied across the board because they had different individual experiences. They were not sophisticated investors. Now, today mm-hmm. the market is crested the top of the parabola. I think what we, we're we either going to start sliding down or go very slowly level and slide down slowly or, or a little faster, but we're definitely crested the top of the parabola. And I think a lot of amateur and accidental investors, landlords are on the sidelines. So the largest pool of prospective clients, right now, in what, from what I see, is more of a sophisticated and disciplined investors. Those demand transparency, results, ROI. They're they're more consistent with what they're looking for. So I want to start with Andy. Andy, you're the only like real operator of the property management business here. And so I'm, I want to I, I wanted to find out from you specifically. Um, you operate in all these different states, so you have a g- great sort of, um, understanding of the client type and who's, who's knocking on your door. So my question is, who do you see knocking on your door as a sort of majority? And do those people, do those prospective owners match your perfect client profile?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, we we definitely, our main target is the mom and pop true investor, uh, I think like you mentioned I think most of the the accidental landlords have kind of cycled out there's probably a few markets left in the country where they're running a little bit behind on value and maybe there's some maybe there's some upside there in, in some of those markets but I do feel uh, I do I do feel like we're going to eventually hit a plateau and maybe that's in the next six months and then I think it's gonna stabilize and maybe go down a little bit I don't expect to see a major drop in value um, which would be nice for the property management industry if there was a bunch of inventory out there that can't sell. That's how we exploded in the single-family market the first time was there's a ton of inventory, nobody could sell, and so the alternative was property management. The problem is, like I talked about at your awesome conference, PM Grow, is that a lot of these multi, all these single-family homes that used to be rental properties are now being sold. And so our inventory is going down, but the demand for single-family rentals is going up. So there's a huge opportunity there for us as property managers to take take advantage of a new niche market and grow our business organically through uh organically through uh, vertical construction.
0: Michael, do you have a take on the on the particular growth um uh types uh, new client types that you see your clients um throughout the buildium ecosystem, you guys have a lot of partnerships. Uh what do you see out sure. there as a as a as a client type emerging for the property management firms?
2: Yeah, well, I, I'll start by saying, Annie. Andy, Annie's right, you know, single family home are going to continue to be in demand, but they're not, they're not making them fast enough. And that's for a couple of reasons. There's firstly a, a shortage in the construction industry. By our research, about one out of every three construction jobs remains unfilled for a few really good reasons. Fewer young people are going into construction and, and we still have been recovered from the last recession when a lot of migrant workers moved back home and, and haven't been able to return or haven't chosen to return and so there's just a bunch of construction jobs that remain unfilled couple that with the the natural disasters we had in the United States last year that's putting a strain on the construction industry they're just not building enough single-family home inventory and so um, demand is going to continue for some time to outstrip the supply which is putting pressure on the prices I think Andy's right though we are, getting to a point, particularly in the hottest markets in the, in the country, where, where we're going to start to see prices for, for both um, real estate as well as rents begin to moderate in places like New York City and, and San Francisco. And, and we might, though, see some increase in those prices and value in some of the secondary markets like Raleigh and, and Charlotte and, and Nashville, for example and that's going to be the result of, of not just renters but home buyers and investors looking for more affordable parts within the within the country
0: got gotcha. you and and so question for Andy um, you you you've been recently on the bigger pocket podcast weren't you that's that's correct probably 2 months ago 2 months ago um, do you think the bigger pocket base uses professional property management there are ma- there are sort of majority users there
1: yeah, I think I think a lot of the a lot of a lot of them are buying outside of their market, and so they need a property manager. Um, there are some that want to manage it themselves, but most people, after my podcast, they're in markets uh, like Michael described, where you know, cap rates are down in the four, maybe three percent range, and they're looking to maybe sell some investments there and move them into a higher yielding cap market. Uh, maybe it's a seven, eight cap, in and, and like a Memphis, Tennessee, or you know Kansas City. And obviously, they need property management for that kind of business. And you know, I, I I once described, you know, our our fathers back in the day when they wanted to get their car washed, they spent two hours on a Saturday washing their car. Today, we go to the car wash and in five minutes go through the car wash and wash it. And so all those, I mean, our our main our main target investor, that's 65 to 75, you know, those guys are going. Those guys are eventually going to go away and hand those assets to their kids who are who used, used to go into the car wash and having these services provided for them. And I think a, there's going to be a mind shift in the service industry hmm. uh, to pick up a lot of those units where uh, our, our dads used to do all these services ourselves. Now the kids are taking over these assets and they're going to use services like we offer.
0: What is the timetable? Sorry, Jordan, I, I, I know you have a you have a point on this one, but I want to say, what is the timetable for that sort of, that shift you think, Andy?
1: Man, we're already, <coughs> seeing it. I think we're seeing it a lot already, um, you know, nationally. Just, you know, folks just, hey, you know, I'm I'm, I'm getting ready to retire, these 75-year-old, I'm, I'm done, I don't want to do it. My assets are doing great, I've owned them for a long time. Just hand them over, and my kids don't want to touch them. Uh, I, I hear that all the time. My kids, I, I hear that. All the time, my kids don't want anything to do with these. So, can you take it?
0: Jordan? You want to? You have a take on this?
3: Uh, no, not you know, not really. Um, along the lines of the market condi- conditions overall, and I think the biggest that I would say in terms of the influence of market factors is just that we're seeing it create more volatility associated with the entrepreneurs that are willing to be flexible based on that change. For example does a high proportion of sell-off mean that you need to get more flexible with with the brokerage side of the business and capturing sales yeah probably does it mean that you need to start thinking differently about churn within your business and paying more attention to that probably i would just say that we're seeing a need for more flexibility as those conditions move and it's nothing that can't be overcome you just have to adapt which really is the whole whole theme of the podcast of this episode right
0: Right.
1: Look,
3: if, if I, I mean, Alex, if I had a property management
1: company and I currently wasn't doing maintenance, rehab, construction work and I'm losing, uh, you know, 5% of my inventory a month to sales, I would, I would quickly look at adding that, um, you know, service because mm-hmm. like Michael said, there's not a lot of people out there that are willing to do that business. If you can do that business and do it right, there's a great opportunity for you to drive new revenue to your business, even though you might be losing uh, some overall door count. You can make that up really quick in maintenance and construction, but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of operators that have never done that. Uh, they don't want to take the time to to maybe look at that opportunity. But that's something that's in demand, no matter no matter where you are in the country right now. And a great opportunity to add that if you're if 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 you're losing units on the back end.
0: I I, I get a hundred percent, a hundred percent agree with all of you uh, all of your points of view. It's actually very valid and aligns with what I've what I've been seeing. Um, my sort of, my, my latest revelation was the client type that's knocking on your door is more of an intentional investor rather than anyone else, right? Intentional or sophisticated. I think sophisticated is still not quite there to trust uh, the property management company. They're just not good enough yet. Almost there, right? We're almost there. Companies like Home River coming in, companies like Buildium helping systemize operations, companies like Lead Simple and then 4.5 helping drive the experience sales process, all that stuff is getting, we're getting better as an industry. But we're still not good enough for sophisticated investor, I think, in a lot of ways. And some of them open their own property management companies, that are self-managed uh, internally. But the intentional investor is who's knocking on the doors right now. And I see that their, their particular expectation of service and results is vastly different than we're used to for the last five years.
2: Yeah, I think that's right, and I think that that increasingly because of the changing demographics, you talked about the the family held operation and those assets being transferred. I mean, more and more people are, are are really used to what they can do on that little device that they hold in their pocket. And increasingly they're expecting every every service provider that they interface with across the board to be offering the same sorts of services that that they can access on their device. And so yeah, increasingly I think I think what you're getting to, Alex, is that these 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 independent investors are gonna be expecting more and more from from their property management. They wanna be able to access the information about their property, the real time data uh, from their device, from anywhere. They wanna be able to make owner contributions online. They don't wanna to have to send in a check. They wanna be able to get access to that information. And so that's, that's um, raising the bar with respect to what property management companies need to be able to deliver to continue to differentiate and win in their markets.
1: You know, well, I, put, I agree well 100%. I, I see a lot of demand on speed. Yeah. And I think I think uh, our industry in general might be a, a little slow at times, and we need to deliver we need to deliver the information and our services quicker to our tenants and owners. And I see that especially on the tenant side, and even more and more on the owner side as they get more savvy with technology. Um, speed is a new currency in this economy, and we've got to adapt to it and offer. Uh, I mean, when, when you look at look at four and a half and lead simple, when lead simple did their report on how important it is for us to get back to people to close deals. Um, you know, things like that really matter, not just in closing new business, but in responding to customers and clients and, and delivering uh, a quality service at a high
0: value. And and yeah, the- And by the way. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. I was going to say just to
2: build on that. The same thing is happening in other areas. You just mentioned tenants, residents, right? So they're demanding they're demanding these services as well. Different set of services, but they want to be able to pay online from anywhere, and they want consumer grade experiences because they're used to those consumer grade experiences. They're using they're using Lyft and and other, other apps. And so they they have a certain expectation about what that... It's not enough just to have a web portal that's responsive. They want it to be really, really simple. And so I think increasingly, particularly because of what I said at the outset, where in these hot markets, prices are starting to to flatten and maybe even come down a bit. And so these property managers are going to have to start focusing on the resident experience to retain those, those renters in a way that maybe they haven't historically. And so it's about doubling down on providing outstanding customer service and and making sure you're delivering the services that that your residents, not just your owners, are increasingly demanding.
3: I think that's a really good point, just noting that customer expectations are being set by companies that are outside of this industry. Gmail sets customer expectations for things like UX, for example, regardless of what piece of software you're using. The overall approach of what first Andy brought up, ancillary revenue, but then connecting that to what Michael brought up of actual expanding scope of service delivery, it's all the same thing. You can think about it in terms of incremental revenue through doing maintenance or whatever, but at the same time, it's basically expanding the scope of where you put your hands on something and you say, this is going to be a first rate experience for the consumer. That's the trend that's not going to to go away. That's the long game. The short game is, we want to fee max and use more outsourcing to lower costs. That's great near term, but somebody is going to trade that margin for market share. And long term, the future in the long game is absolutely all about comprehensively owning a full stack experience for your
0: customers. That's what that's my perception. Full stack experience. That's, that's really well said. If you guys don't mind, let's shift gears and go to... Uh, more of a consolidation and, and, and the market state, industry state, when it comes to acquisitions. Last year, it was red hot. I think uh, when we talked about a year and a half ago, and he wasn't Home River just being formed?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we were probably six months old when we got together the first time in Hawaii.
0: Bullpark, how many acquisitions have you made since then?
1: Boy, I would say uh, portfolio and platform together between, between 10 and 15 total acquisitions.
0: That's quite a bit. And, and those were some of these larger companies, some of the larger right. operators in the given markets, which is impressive. And so what do you see, Andy, maybe we'll start off with you or Michael, if you have a point. What do you see as a, as a I guess, as a trend in the acquisition? It's very popular. I'm just going to say it's a very popular topic. We have a website chat and people ask all kinds of growth-related questions. And I'd say probably one out of 30 is related to how to value my company like right. literally it's not like it's not relevant right now do you see valuations going up do you see them catching up with australia do you see more operators willing to join a, a company like yours where they get a little bit of a stock and participate in a larger thing or do you see people checking out what do you see
1: look i mean uh if you look at a lot of a lot of the NARPM surveys you know our industry in general has kind of an older population right and they haven't really thought about an exit strategy at any point and they're getting to that point in their career where they're thinking, look, I built something. It's, it's, it's got some value. How do I, how do I you know, get out of this business at some point? I think there's a lot of that going on. Um, there's, there's also this new young wave of operators that are coming into the system, uh, into the property management business, too, that are trying to modernize it. Those guys, you know, I've had a lot of conversation with those folks. They don't seem to be super interested in, in getting out of their local market. But if you take a look at like the, the west the west coast and east coast, um, those markets that have been hit uh, with an awesome real estate market and they've dwindled indoors. Those those folks seem to be interested in getting out of the business. Um, you know, uh, they have they they're they're a little bit more motivated than the folks in the Midwest and some parts of the South. And then uh, the, the people the people where we want to go into those areas places in the midwest where you guys know there's not as many property managers some places in the south there's not as many property managers most of most of uh, you know the property management folks are at the 80 80% are on the coast and so it's hard it's hard to find good operators in those those mid mid level secondary tertiary markets that want to sell because their businesses are growing because investors are flooding those markets right now because that's where they can get their yield and you know we have a lot of people that really are interested in talking to us that are in markets where they're losing doors on the back end and they want to get out before who knows what happens so that's that's kind of what i'm seeing like a one-minute overview of what the market looks like today for me that makes sense
2: Yeah, yeah that makes perfect sense i mean you're closer to it than i am but that that makes perfect sense particularly when it comes to succession planning and i will say that that technology is likely going to just accelerate that that trend. I mean before before technology platforms like buildium it was much harder to consolidate in all of these disparate locations but but now with with modern platforms like buildium i think we're going to see more of this consolidation particularly among among management firms that are looking for looking to retire and are looking to to um, for an exit. Yep.
0: Almost every other day I uh, yet uh, we get a company-wide alert, well, alert or in, uh, information from one of our account managers saying this customer bought this customer. So we're bringing all – a lot of times our customers buying other customers, which is great. Everything integrates. A lot of times uh, our customers get bought out by someone else. We get brought in or we get canceled. It happens. But it, it like it's almost on a regular basis. I wouldn't say every other day. Okay, once a week for sure, right? Once a week we get that kind of a – uh, announcement, and that's and that to me says it, it, the the market is still healthy. People want to sell. People interested in succession planning, as you said, um, but but this is this is an interesting piece of information. The, the coastal property managers who have seen the cycle panic a little bit now, right? They're like, Ooh, "Would my valuations go down? Um, maybe I should go." Um, that's interesting, or share the risk with a larger company. That's interesting. yeah and and we we've
1: had we've had discussions with folks that, that you know that are in those markets that are saying man maybe th- this is the worst of it we're gonna start seeing prices level out and and days on market go up which means the phone's gonna ring and people are gonna put their prop- property up for rent um you know it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to tell it seems like there's a huge demand no matter where we're at uh, for rentals I mean just just you know national national vacancy rates are two percent lower than historical average it's just um you know I, I think one of the biggest problems we have is is like we already talked about there's inventory issues and um we can't build them fast enough we have we have people that are we, in some properties we have 30 40 apps the second they go on the market that's uh that's an issue and we've got to figure out a way to solve it
0: so let's shift gears to now um talking about the competitive advantages for independent operators, people who are not ready to sell, who want to build this out coast or middle. Um, I'm going to make my assumption um, very quickly. I'm going to turn this to you. And um, specifically, what do you see as the next thing to focus on as the opportunity for the smaller independent operators to win, to win bigly, someone says. Um, uh, so in my opinion, it's, it's driving local market knowledge is going to be the key differentiator, Right. And, and, and to do it today through shallow, small blog content is not good enough, right? You have to wow. drive that local knowledge through long-form, deep content like, you know, a radio show, a podcast like this. Um, you know, it's a lot of work and effort, but this is the huge, the big differentiator, right? Investors want to work with uh, operators who know the market really well. And I think, um, to give our audience an example, guys, I'm impressed what Duke Dotson, with Dotson Property Management is doing right now. Go see his podcast, all about Richmond, Virginia, right? He talks about famous DJs, he talks about pol- to politicians, he drives a lot of local education. He Then what he does is, he introduces his team and his staff through Facebook video and YouTube. He does a really good job with that. I think that's a big winning strategy. I think he's just sort of starting out with that, maybe a few months ago but that's a big one. So I think that's one way to differentiate through deep local knowledge differentiation. What do you guys think?
2: Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Right. I think the same thing in, in uh, not just property management, but
0: real estate
2: sales and rentals. I, I got a question recently. Somebody asked me, this, this pertains to real estate sales. Do you think brokers are going to go away? And I said, I think the nature of what brokers are, will do in the future will start to change as technology, as VR and and other new technologies become even more ubiquitous. I think what you go and seek a, a real estate agent for will change over time, but there's always going to be value placed on that local knowledge. And the same is true of property management. So I, I agree with you. I think that you know real, legitimate, authentic local knowledge has has a ton of value and that's where the, the small independent operator can can stand out from that regional player or or uh, that bigger player is, is by knowing that local market better than anybody else. So I think that is a way that that these smaller independent property management firms can can differentiate.
1: I mean, I, I would just add maybe two more things to that, Alex. And Great. I think local knowledge is 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 very important, um, obviously. But uh, local lo- building local deep relationships with people in the market that are doing things that are going to help drive your business is huge. I mean, I think. I think what you guys do, you know, Lead Simple's great, Four and a Half's great as far as getting your, your online presence out there and getting people in front of your business. But the people that are actually out there moving and shaking and making things happen in your market, um, you know, you've got to get out from out from under your desk and go out there and meet those people and then tell them about how well you know the market and then, and then figure out a way how you can work together with those folks to help grow your business. Um, I know there's, we've, we've, property managers in general just got super spoiled from 2008 to probably 2013. And now they're just like, why isn't this working? Why isn't, why isn't my phone ringing off the hook anymore? Um, mm-hmm. And they keep doing the same thing over and over again. And it's, it's not producing the same results. So those, those, uh, those, those deep-rooted needs to go out and build uh, relationships with folks um, and understanding what the market is currently needing is important. And then getting in front of those people is obviously important. And the other thing I think is building something specific, a niche for your business that you do that nobody else does. That really separates you uh, where you can where you can say, hey, we do this better than anybody else in the country. And this is how we do it. And if you can if you can get some local knowledge, build some local relationships and have something super special that you offer. Man, if those, those three things are dangerous and you can grow your business in the worst property management you know, market, uh, you know, known like basically right now. Uh, but you you got to you got to have that kind of three pronged approach in my opinion. I think all of that
3: feedback aligns really well with Steve Murray's thesis that he shared at the recent Broker Owner, which is that there's going to be an aggressive spot for um, the boutique property management companies that are all about service and local market knowledge, as well as the larger players that are trying to achieve some semblance of scale. I think that the differentiating factor there is the degree to which any operator treats what they're doing as a functional business as opposed to a really great income stream. I've said this a million times, but recurring revenue is the blessing and curse of this industry. And the operators that choose to do a couple of things, the first one that comes to mind for me is operationalizing the sales and marketing function within their business to me that's like a really solid bright line of an organization that is aspiring to actually Mm. have a future in the long term as opposed to saying the number one deterministic factor is our widgets whether that be how we good we sell houses how well we manage your property how well we produce whatever the good or service is to me that's a meaningful bright line that has to be rooted in overall awareness of the unit economics. What is your customer acquisition cost? What is your customer lifetime profit before sales and marketing? Um, That's where I see a massive opportunity because most companies are not, but for those that are, they are leaning hard on that. And that is the fundamental thesis and premise of why outside capital is coming into this industry because somebody is doing that math. That math is being done, but it's either we're gonna do it and we're gonna disrupt ourselves or somebody else is gonna do it Come into uh, come into our market, and we're going to complain about it.
0: Hmm. Uh, may I ask, uh, Andy, if you can provide an example? Because you said you, you you put up a good. A really good another really good way to differentiate is local knowledge so share it so education through local meetups, investor meetups, uh, uh, long form content, that stuff. but also you said building relationships locally. and now I'm just thinking as you saying this I'm thinking I know a lot of very successful property management companies that don't have any they don't have any particular competitive advantage that I know of but they're growing. They're very financially secure. They have amazing, awesome teams and a lot of revenue that allows them to do a lot of good things with their businesses. And a lot of them are chamber of commerce presidents. They're just locally, they're locally just connected with everybody. So that really resonated with me. But but Andy, you said there's a focus on niche. What are some of the, give, us, give our audience some examples of maybe one or two what can a smaller independent operator focus on and said this, I do better than anyone else. What is it? Is it setting rental price? What, what can, like, what are the, some differentiators? Yeah. I mean, maybe
1: I, I look at like a guy like Mike Nelson, right? Who has a ton of local market knowledge, but he looks at every asset like a stockbroker looks at stocks, right? Or, you know, he, Mm he, he understands the financial side of the asset and does a great job of displaying that to his investors and sells a lot of property, which obviously increases his unit count you know what what we do here better than i think most people is that we're really good at putting you know build to rent projects together and that's how we've grown when all of a lot of our competition quite frankly that that took advantage of that awesome you know reluctant landlord market they all that all that all that inventory has gone away and we've built our inventory through new development um you know so whatever your market has to bear there's always an opportunity specifically to your mar- market the first one to figure that out and figure out how to offer that to their to their clientele they'll 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 grow as fast as they want to grow i mean honestly i mean we'll we'll do uh, just just in the pipeline here just cuz we we carved out a niche on new development uh, we have between 2000 and 2400 doors coming on in the next 12 months um and look I'm not I'm I'm definitely not the smartest guy around not even not even, not even within uh, 5 feet of my desk but I figured out the niche and you know we pursued it and it's worked well for us
0: very very cool and yeah. you're very smart Michael do you have an idea on, on on other niches people can focus on what what are some of the things that you see as an opportunity for independent operators
2: yeah, I think the things that Andy mentioned are are great examples. I I would offer up other examples like maybe maybe your thing is single family home rentals or student housing or or maybe your short term rentals, vacation rentals, or maybe even higher end condo rentals. I think specializing on a particular type of property can also help you differentiate. And and I know. People are reluctant sometimes to do that because they they don't want to narrow the size of their addressable market. They feel like, well, if I if I hone in on student rentals, then I'm not going to be able to take advantage of these other opportunities. But I think the other the, the counterpoint is when you when you focus when you focus, then you can get really really good at something, and that's a that is a a. a a great way to differentiate, and by the way, that transcends any industry. At Buildium, mm-hmm. we we figured that out pretty early on, and that's why we focus exclusively on the SMB market. We focus exclusively on residential management, and and that allows us to be really, really good at that. Unlike some of our competitors that span the gamut, so I think that's that sound advice that, that that spans many different industries.
1: Also, I mean, Jordan Jordan had some good thoughts there too. I love, like you know, specifically Doug. I don't know if you've ever had Douglas Skipworth. On your yeah, podcast, yeah, we did
0: both of us. I mean,
1: yeah. He's carved out a sweet niche in a, in a market where that works. That might not work in this market, but mm-hmm. again, there's 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 plays in every market, opportunities that people aren't taking advantage of. I mean, he grew his company from like uh, 100 doors to 2,400 doors in four or five years just by you know finding properties, rehabbing them, and selling them. Uh, and then you know, obviously, once he sells, hey, we need a property. Oh, we do that too. Boom. And just did that, you know, three thousand times over. Super cool. Yeah. And he's yeah. and he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet.
0: He is. Yeah. He's, he's a great, Amen. great guy.
1: I, I wish I wish I was more like Doug Skipworth. I, I <laughs> <should. You
0: laughs> Don't know, we here's all? Here's Doug's thank you note. If you guys uh, want to man. talk about nice, let's do an example. It's on my desk. Doug yeah. writes everybody a thank you note. Thank you for letting me you know, you know attend the PM Growth Summit. It was the best. Blah blah. blah. I mean, that's 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 a touch, man. That's. That's a human. That's a human uh, you can respect and and be friends with.
1: I love Doug.
0: Doug is good. Hey, Doug. And by the way, he listens to every episode. Doug, what's up, man? Um, Yep. Call out. Okay. Um, Let's shift gears. Uh, We have a few more minutes left. We got, I don't know, maybe not 15 minutes. You guys good with another 15, 17 minutes? Sure, sure. All right. We're going into this important stuff. So we've sort of like – Given the state of the union, so to speak, or the macro where the industry is and some of the ideas and how to how to focus uh, on niche and how to you know, understand your unit economics and how to sort of point your operations and your your growth. But let's talk about the actual job of the CEO of property management company, the president of a property management company. What should they be focusing on right now? And this time I'm going to turn it to you and I'm going to give you my idea a lo- little bit later in um, in this discussion. What do you guys think the CEO should be focused on?
3: I got to go back to the classic Fred Wilson, three things. Set the overall vision and strategy of a company, communicate it to all stakeholders, recruit, hire, and retain the very best talent for the company, and make sure there is always enough cash in the bank. Those are my three.
0: Man, I've, not, I've never met a man or woman who can accomplish these things. <laughs> like if I look yeah. at myself, man, I, maybe I do, Yeah, I don't know, I, I, I oscillate between those things. I don't think I do all of them. But well put.
1: Yeah, that's, I don't know what else there is to say. Great job, Jordan.
3: <laughs> Great job, Fred Wilson.
2: I, I think the the first the first part is about getting setting that clarity right. What where are you trying to go as a business in the next three to five years? There is a management consulting company called the Table Group that has written a bunch of books: The Five Dysfunctions of the Team and mm-hmm. and The Advantage and 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 in The Advantage, it's all about how do you how do you create a high-performing organization? How do you increase organizational health? And it's interesting because it's not a question that that, um, that we hear very often. If, if I were to ask you what are the things that you need to live a, a healthy life, it wouldn't take long for people to say, well, you need to get lots of sleep, you need to eat well, you need to get some exercise, right? Those are the three key ingredients. But organizational health, it, it, it's less clear. And, and what the table group asserts is that you need the things that, that Jordan just said. You first need clarity. And and it's clarity on key questions like why do we exist and what do we believe and what's the vision for the company, what's the game plan, how are we gonna grow? It's answering these very basic but important questions. They call that a playbook. And then step number two is once you have that clarity, you need to communicate it, like like Jordan said. And then step number three is you have to over-communicate it because it's it's not a one and done proposition. And so yeah, I, I agree with Jordan. I think as the CEO, the president. You need to be thinking about what uh, what you want from your business, what the the, the longer term vision for the business is, and then and and then making sure that that's really clear to the rest of the the organization, so that you're all rowing in that same proverbial
3: direction. Mm-hmm. The truth is that. The CEO hat is not a full-time role for most companies. If you're at a 10-person organization, you don't have the luxury of being a full-time CEO. It's going to be a part-time contribution, and you got to max it out to the degree that it's necessary. But you're also going to have to do whatever else, whether that be service, biz dev, whatever it looks like. It's a it's a balance. Yeah, I I, I think I think a lot of the the CEOs, unfortunately,
1: in, in the business, because uh, Jordan, like you said, most of them probably have a 10, maybe 20-person team. Uh, they'll go to a NARPM conference or a PM Grow conference, et cetera. They'll come up with a bunch of ideas. They get back and they just get slapped with the day-to-day, and yeah. uh, you know they don't get to implement a lot of these great ideas that know will drive business and make their lives better. But I think also a, a a thing that CEOs probably could do is you know look at look at some of the cool technology that's coming down uh, the pipe in the industry. You know you've got you've got automated showings, you've got automated maintenance scheduling. I, one thing I think about with with Buildium and NARPM, they did this awesome uh, survey and said, "Hey, what are the top three struggles?" Right? And one of the one of the top struggles you probably remember, Michael, it was number one was maintenance and dealing mm-hmm. with maintenance. Uh, sure. Well, there's solutions yeah. out there on how to deal with that stuff, but being able to pick the right the right software, the right partner, whether whether it be in you know uh, a CRM or you know a company like Four and a Half, you know, figuring that out, getting those getting that right partnership on, you know. On your team, and then letting 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 some of these things grow, so you can operate more like a CEO. Because there there are some great um, you know partnerships out there that, for some reason, a lot I just I see property managers just slow to take advantage of for some reason. Um, and I think I think the other thing on the technology side is it's it's nice to see some of these uh, property management software's. And I'm not sure what building is on this, but they're opening up their API and they're allowing some of those uh, you know. By the bilateral connections, um, you know, to update their software and, and vice versa, and that's huge, especially when you're trying to scale a, a business.
0: The app ecosystem, yeah. So my take on this is is a bit more specific uh, and timed to the trend and where we are as a sort of as an industry in a cyclical nature and where we exactly where we stand. So I think. Well, I was a CEO of a property management company, and, you know, my coaching and consulting, I do, I do talk about this. And this is, you know, I think driving systemization of processes and partnerships right now to plug in different partners, as you put it, Andy, very aptly put. Plugging the partners into your system, systemizing, smoothing out the operations, that's internal focus. That should be it. And I think outsourcing should be, should play a big role in this. Um, But I think externally, and I'll talk more about that later and why, but I think externally, I think we, all the property managers and us, all business owners need to focus strongly on transparency and how to properly, um, how to position your company as a transparent and trustworthy operator, right? Trust is the biggest bridge, the uh, biggest gap that we need to bridge. And I think, so when when I say transparency, I want to be more specific. The CEO should really be thinking about pricing, right, putting out pricing as a tier-based pricing where you're not too cheap, not too expensive, you can cover across the spectrum. All of a sudden, the fee conversation goes to nothing. It gets reduced to really nothing because the fee's already posted, you talking about service and value, and, and you picking the specific package that people need. The team, I'm really big on putting the team first, right? Their bios, their videos on the website. Have that information right up front, again, to transparency, trust, who am I working with? These guys know what they're doing. I meet them. I know who they are. Um, trust on, as you, Michael, put trust on you know, the speed and reporting. Um, and I think maybe Andy said speed, but speed and reporting. Like, you know, I I'm a landlord. I need to know what's going on with my property. I'm running my own life, but uh, property is the biggest investment I make. So guess what? I need I need to be able to see what's going on, what the latest inspection says, all that stuff. Um, at speed and so that to me is external transparency. That is a differentiator for medium and uh, Smaller size operators as well as larger operators um, And that's that's what I, I would focus on if I ran a property management company
2: Yeah, I think that's good advice sure. I think that I would I would generalize that by saying that as a as a, as a business owner it's increasingly important as if you want to grow i should i should qualify it with if you want to grow to figure out i think what you're getting to alex is is how to operationalize various aspects of your business so that you can mm-hmm. you can you can delegate those parts of your business to other people which is going to enable you to do some of this other stuff that jordan mentioned it's awfully hard to be thinking about where your business is going to be down the road when you're running around trying to get rents collected or leases executed or or listings posted it's really hard to to be working on your business if you're if you're so in it and and so it's important to to allocate some time you know that the, the the distinction we've all heard the distinction between what's urgent and what's important right urgent is my house is burning down and i need to get out or put it out you know important is that stuff that that is really really important but is easy to defer and, and operationalizing it, like writing it down, writing down the steps of how you do a particular uh, workflow or business process it's it's important but it's not urgent. so it's the stuff that often gets deferred but but it's so important to to allocate time to that otherwise you'll never get out of it and you'll and, and you won't be able to grow.
1: Also I mean I, I was just at the broker owner uh, event a week week and a half ago and talked about, Uh, the cost of distractions in the workplace. I think a CEO has got to figure out a way to get ahead of the distractions that are causing our our people to be very busy, but not productive. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's that's a problem I see when I walk into every property management company I've I've ever walked into. There's a bunch of people kind of running around with the head cut off, but they don't have clear direction, not specifically working in a workflow type of a, a system that drives productivity. It's they get in, they sit down, their email, their email dings and their phone rings and they, that's the whole day. And that's just a tough environment to keep good people for a long time. And, um, you know, we talked about culture on the last podcast. I won't, I won't go into that. but And the distractions that we're facing in property management in one of the most busiest um, industries in the world are costing us, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, a year. And we've got to figure out how to minimize those distractions and keep people productive and not just busy burned out.
0: Actually, culture is a very natural progression of of business growth and, in fact, probably one of the key components. And, and, and it was definitely on the agenda. So we have two more topics. I want to talk about culture. I want to talk about technology before we wrap this up. And, Andy, the excellent segue, my man, that was beautiful. So maybe Jordan or Michael can kick us off with the culture, the importance of it. And given given the current state of the industry, where and how procuring good people – what do what do CEOs do? How do how do leaders build teams? I'm going to
3: defer to Michael on this one. I'm very interested to see this, some commentary from him on how what did or didn't work at 10 people is now working on a much larger scale.
2: Yeah. Well, I think it, it it starts with getting to that clarity because if you don't have the clarity on where you're going as a company, if you don't have clarity around around what's really important, how how you expect people to behave. Then it's hard to look for those things when you're hiring people. And so I'll say when, you know building was 25 people, we're we're over 200 today. It was a lot easier to rely on your intuition or your gut when when assessing candidates. But as you get bigger, you can't you can't do that anymore. That's not scalable. And so what you need is a a, a consistent way to assess talent on the way in and it starts with what we do at Buildium is we create what we call a a scorecard. It talks about the the things that you want that person to accomplish in the first six to 12 months, the outcomes in other words. It talks about the competencies that you think are important in that particular job. And then it talks about the values of the organization. And and so we use that scorecard, we first of all, we create it before we start to, before we even post a job ad out there, we, we create that scorecard because if we don't, then it's impossible to interview candidates in any sort of consistent way. And, and so that's one, one change that, that we had to put in place as we got bigger to ensure that, that when we were evaluating talent, we were doing it through a, a, common, a common lens. And by the way, you can't do that until you've done the hard work of figuring out what your values are as an organization. So it does really start with that foundational work, and then you can start to put together a scorecard for a position and, 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 and evaluate talent more consistently.
3: Yeah, only thing I would just add to that is that uh, a lot of the culture has to do with the external facing customer commitments. What are you committed to achieving on behalf of the customer? And those are things that can transcend any given one operation process, interaction and experience. But whatever your cultural commitments are, if they're not tangible, demonstrable proof and evidence of it, then it's a philosophical idea, which means it ain't worth much.
0: Well. I, I think that nobody would argue this point. Um, that real culture starts with the best people that are aligned behind a single purpose. That is, everybody understands and drives towards. That is, that is a given. That is a definition of good corporate, good company culture. Um, and I think, I think the, the, the focus right now should be you know, it, it, good people cost money. Yeah, okay, like that's 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 what I'm finding out, right? This is this is my learning. Um, you know, uh, as c- the company grows, good people cost money, and not only in in salary but also you know salary benefits, and and um, they want to work with the companies of the good office and, and perks and all this other stuff. Um, and so you have to provide that, but how do you provide that, right? Um, and compete with companies who have a lot lower t- you know team costs talent costs well i think the answer is outsourcing and systemizing, right i think i think moving tactical to near shore or offshore and and elevating strategic to local right will 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 provide that opportunity will provide a tremendous advantage with very smart people making good money sticking around working through um, and providing the best customer service. And so I think the other side of that is organizing operations into squads. And those of you who are interested, um, you can listen to my podcast with Adam Hooley on this. Uh, It's called The Framework of a High-Performing Team. What this is 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 basically an opportunity for advancement within your service operational side, uh, property management side, where you have the property management executive on top, assistant property managers below them and then maybe some lower le- lower, lower end people interns, somebody who just hire into the property management position all the way in the bottom helping those. So you have this sort of a team approach Tony where Allen. there's an upward mobility for the employee uh, for the team member as well as um, as well as service oriented uh, structure for the customer because if somebody gets sick, quits all of a sudden, you're not losing that. You know uh, uh, that person is not losing all the clients, and uh, um, you know terrible things don't happen. So I think those kinds of things that, uh, to me, best people drive culture. Best people are expensive. Outsource tactical, and move to strategic, so you can afford best people.
2: Yeah. One thing I'll add: you mentioned uh, good people are 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 expensive i i think it's it's expensive particularly when you lose good people Mm -hmm. it's the same thing with customer acquisition it costs a lot of money to acquire customers you want to make sure that you do a good job of retaining them and 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 one thing that that i'd encourage um, any property manager to do is is some kind of way of measuring employee happiness you can do it very inexpensively even for free there are of online survey tools you can even use google google forms to do an anonymous survey and and you can borrow questions you don't have to invent them use the gallup employee index there's 12 questions that they ask to measure employee engagement and and you can administer a survey like that with survey monkey for free depending on the number of responses or for free with with uh, google drive and and just do that every that every six months, do that one, uh, four times a year. And that'll help you maintain a pulse on on how your employees are, are feeling. If you don't measure, it's hard to improve. And that's true of any aspect of your business. So there's no reason why you shouldn't be measuring employee engagement too.
3: Great advice, yep. uh,
1: very well we, put. We, we love that. I mean, uh, we've, been, we've been doing a daily uh, happiness survey, kind of the, we call it the face of the day. So we highlight one employee every day and at the bottom of that, like a Mailchimp email, there's a little link to a survey. It's just rate your rate your day on a scale of one to five. And we can see the trends over time. I think we've been doing it since maybe two thousand and twelve. But uh, you know, we've 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 caught a couple of uh, situations, you know that that might have been bad if we wouldn't we weren't ahead of it with that with that survey. It's a lot of work to do it every day, but as we get bigger, we want to you know keep the keep it tight. And, and continue to learn who's working, you know, in the same building as we are. The other thing, I think, I think one of the biggest struggles I've heard from property managers is just hiring uh, good people at a good rate. Um, one thing that we do that kind of keeps our interview room full is that we, we post our fun experiences on Facebook on a, on a weekly basis. That's good. Uh-huh. And, and when we have, when we have our, our group interviews, typically once a week, we'll typically have somewhere between 12 and 15 people show up. Gives us a good way to gut judge the, the culture fit first before we kind of get into the specific details of the job before we start executing our scorecard. Um, so, I mean, even today we, you know, we had our second we had our second quarter theme rollout this morning. Uh, we did it at the bowling alley at 7:30 a.m. It was awesome, and uh, you know, everybody got to eat burritos, uh, breakfast burritos, whole, and get out of there in 40 minutes. It was it was awesome uh, with the 10 minute presentation. So,
0: what's the theme this quarter, Andy?
3: Uh, rolling with the changes.
0: Awesome, love it.
3: Rolling with the changes. Did you catch that? Nice, yep. love it. Yep, which is why we had it at the bowling center,
1: man. <laughs> we had uh, we had uh, Ludacris uh, singing "Roll Out," <laughs> and we had um, Ario awesome. Speedwagon uh, rolling with the changes. Obviously, we took them. <laughs> and then we uh, we 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 bowled A-Brios and we got we we're back in the office at nine o'clock when when the doors open. So it was it was awesome, but. You know, getting that out there, people seeing that happening, they're going to be like, man, something's going on there special. I, I need to go down there. And, you know, uh, these, these younger folks, they are, they're more interested in purpose than money. So if you can, if you can show that there's, there's a clear purpose to what you're trying to do, get them excited, uh, they'll, they'll come over.
0: If you have all three, purpose, money, and fun, you can get anybody you want. I mean, I'm competing with Google, Facebook. I'm competing with Twitter. I'm competing with, you know, yourname.com right below me. Like, this is like anything, right? It's just, it's crazy here in the Bay Area. Yeah, you got to, purpose is big because people, you know, smaller companies, I'd say, you know, people want to make a contribution. If you show them what difference you, the employee, the team member is going to make, I think that's going to be a a difference between, um, you know, uh, being interested in taking the job or not and being connected with the job or not. So that's good. I think, I think we've covered a lot of things. Any parting thoughts and I, I, we're gonna do this again in 12 to 18 months depending on how what kind of things and shifts happen. Um, it's really so I think like quite a few things happen and this th- this particular uh, conversation is uh, quite actually somewhat dissimilar but also different from last time. So we're going to meet in another 12 to 18 months and I get you guys agreement on that?
2: That sounds great.
0: You got it. Awesome. We'll see, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> the negotiator. Yeah, Negotiate. The, the, the like tough it. guy. So, so any parting words of wisdom?
1: Man, I'll, I'll, I'll start off just by saying uh, maybe these aren't words of wisdom, just words of appreciation. Obviously, all three of you guys uh, on this on this uh, podcast do a ton for the business of property management, which I love. And as you guys know, there's a lot of property managers out there who just struggle every day and all of your services add value, especially, you know, I, I, I love I love that Buildium NARP, uh survey that you guys put out every year. I use that almost all, like once a week, I look at it for, you know, what are we, are we trending the right way? Are we doing the right things? Uh, are we looking for the right people? Um, obviously, I'm a huge fan of four and a half. They're driving our business all over the country. And, you know, we have, I think, eight full-time BDMs that are using Lead Simple every day to help grow our business. So I just wanted to say... You know, thank you on behalf of our business and all property managers for tr- helping us, you know, who are running around as, as operators with our heads cut off most of the time, trying to get us uh, focused and moving down the right direction. So just uh, just thanks for having me on and all you do for the business and, and NARPM. Obviously, I'm a huge, huge fan of NARPM. All you guys are incredibly generous to that organization, which means so much to me.
0: That is, that is a really good place to end. Uh, Michael, Jordan, any parting thoughts? And by the way, thank you, Andy. That is, uh, um, much appreciated.
1: Got
2: it. Yeah, I would just say it's a, it's, a, it's a privilege to service this industry. I mean, our customers are the reason why we have the privilege to come into work every single day. So thank you to you and all the property managers out there. We know it's a thankless business, and we're just honored to be able to help, in some small part, uh, our customers run successful businesses.
3: My parting words are this. I think it is a great time to be in this industry. The benchmarking study we just did showed that there is a wide chasm between the folks at the top and the bottom, but on the whole, I'm just really optimistic about this space and time of being in this, in this industry right now and growing
0: a phenomenal, exciting business. There's no industry I'd rather be in. Phenomenal, gentlemen, I will see you in 12 to 18 months. I'll cross will cross path and talk in the in between, but for the purpose of this show, I want to say thank you very much and all the best to you and all your endeavors, endeavors and adventures and we'll talk to you soon.
3: Sounds great. you.